Hello and welcome to Psychotherapy with Dr. Fia. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the relationship between our hair, our health, and our heritage. As a clinical psychologist, hairstylist, and research scientist, I believe we can do so many different studies on these topics. So for my first season, I'm facilitating conversations with my co-authors about our research studies that we've gotten published. And I love to invite you to listen. And as we explore the research topic, why it's important to us, and even some of the common myths about our work. In this episode of Psychotherapy with Dr. Afia, my special guests, Ms. Tayo and Bande, and I will process our published article in Media Psychology Review, entitled Press and Curl, an examination of ebony magazine covers to understand the cultural historical trends of black women's hair. So to introduce you to this article, I'll share the abstract. This study examined the sociocultural standards of physical appearance presented to black women through magazine covers from 1960 to 2009. The highest grossing African-American print media publication to date, Ebony, was digitized with free online retrieval, giving access to a range of historical images of feminine beauty with an emphasis on black hair. Trends were investigated through a content analysis of black female cover models, N equals 558, the hair texture and their length. Although a range of hairstyles was depicted on the magazine cover, straightened and curled hair remained the most frequent hair texture across all five decades. And there was an increase in length from ear length hair in the 1960s to shoulder length hair in the 1990s. Both the consistency in hair straightening and an increase of hair length suggest that hair straightening is presented as a cultural historical ideal for black women. This trend parallels unhealthy hair altering practices, social comparison challenges, and political climate of American society. Ooh, that was a lot. Do you remember all of this? Do I remember? All right, so I'm just so thrilled right now to have this guest. I'm in her home. This is um, recording from Chicago. And so I'll give you a little information about Tayo. So Tayo is a proud alumna of Howard University where she received her Bachelor's of Science in Psychology, minoring in Afro-American Studies. While at Howard, she was actually a student of the Psychotherapy Research Lab. Now she was born and raised in Long Beach, California and currently resides in Chicago where she started Chicago Birth Works Collective. And as a graduate student at the University of Illinois at Chicago, she's a loving wife and mother of two. So, Tayo, tell me more about your life. Tell me more about your business. So about our business, um, Chicago Birthworks Collective was started because I was trying to find a way to basically rent my mother to people having children. And it just didn't seem really moral to do that without some type of institution. So what I did was I convinced my mom to become a doula at the same time as me. And I said, well, you know, that type of, you know, um, just incredible satisfaction and almost like intuitive process that you go through when I'm about to have a baby. Wouldn't you love for other women to experience that type of support and love and embrace? And she's like, oh yeah, I guess. And so we started Chicago Birthworks Collective to basically provide all of the services and support that black women want and need surrounding their best, most desirable pregnancy, birth, and postpartum outcome. So that in short just means Everything that you want to have access to. If that's a birth photographer, if you want to have, 
newborn photography, if you're looking for someone to rub your body down, do your hair while you're pregnant. <laughs> those are the things that Chicago Birthworks Collective has been working to bring to these people so that we can make sure that we are investing in ourselves throughout pregnancy, birth, and postpartum to make sure we stay alive, number one. And two, um, just have better experiences. Wow. We deserve all that stuff. Well, this, this is amazing. I'm just picturing you as a student at Howard, and I'm reminiscing really hard. We've known each other for about five years now. Oh, that's it? And so, yeah. And so to see you transform from a student to a wife, a mom, and an entrepreneur. Um, so I guess I'm just even curious if you could tell people how you ended up joining the research lab. And if you remember, it was a very unique situation, if you remember how we met at Howard and how you ended up joining the lab. I cannot wait for my husband to listen to this. So he told me, you're so welcome for introducing me to Dr. Billy Shock. And I'm like, what? He really believed, like, all of these years that he introduced me to you. Um, so how we actually met, just in case anyone ever runs into my husband and he tells you something different, I was, um, in an internship called the BPARP internship. It was a behavioral health sciences program and we were, um, being assigned to mentors. It was like such a special and exciting day. And I got assigned to this person who, I don't remember who they were, but I remember I did not want to be assigned to them. <laughs> so I was like walking around like a sad puppy, like I got this person. And all of these people were on the other side of the room looking so happy and just cool. It was like they were glowing. And I just was like giving them eyes. I just kept cutting my eyes over there like, I'm not jealous. You guys look like you're going to have a great time with that woman. I had never seen Dr. Villashaka before. And so I think you may have mentioned something to me about my hair. And I just pounced. I'm like, you like my hair? I like your hair. Please take me into your lab. And that's all I remember. Was that similar to how yeah, that, that's what I remember too? Because you said, "Oh, I want to do this research topic on hair," and so I said, "Okay, well, I already have a few students, yeah, but you if you really so want to do it, you can do it." So maybe two minutes later, you're like, "So I've um, officially switched my mentors. <laughs> I'll, I'll be working with you for the whole summer." I'm like, "Okay, I did not wow." I want that person I had you, but you. It really showed how you took initiative. That you know, you didn't do small talk. You were really about the business. So our topic was on Ebony Magazine, but mm -hmm. you actually did that as your summer research project yeah. to study Ebony Magazine. At the same time I was competing to be yeah. featured in yeah. Ebony Magazine. That's what we're going to say. So, you know, everybody's grandparents has a monthly subscription mm -hmm. to Ebony Magazine growing up. But how did you as a millennial get interested in studying the representation of black women on magazine covers? So, I mean, like you said, I definitely saw Ebony Magazine everywhere. And it didn't really have a, an extremely salient meaning to me. I'm like, yeah, Ebony, like Ebony Essence, Jet, all of that. So there are all these black publications. And it wasn't until I, um, well, I was Miss Howard. I was Miss Howard University 2013 to 2014. And I found out that there was an Ebony Magazine Campus Queen spread. Um... The student activities office basically was like, okay, well, now's your time to enter. And we did all the paperwork and logistics stuff. And they're like, cool, you're in the competition. You just got to get people to vote for you. I thought it would be so easy. I thought it would be so easy. I actually was the first and only <laughs> Miss Howard to compete to be in Ebony Magazine twice hmm. and not get in. Everyone before me got in. <laughs> Everyone no. after me got in. And so I think that summer was right after I found out that I wasn't going to get in for sure, for sure, for the second time. 
And so I had like a lot of feelings. Of course, I was like bummed. I mean, I spent a lot of money <laughs> and a lot of time trying to get people to vote for me. There were lots of like YouTube videos. Oh my gosh, we did so Instagram. much. It was like a full marketing campaign, full blown. But then I just started to process like, well, what does that really mean to me? Why am I, you know, so connected to the idea of me, my face, and what I represent being presented in Ebony Magazine? So it started to make me think about what Ebony Magazine meant to myself and what it meant to other black women and black people. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, these spreads, these Campus Queen spreads, they have been going on um, since the late 70s, early 80s. But people had created some type of meaning around seeing those women in there. You know, what does their hair look like over the years? What are they dressing like? What is their skin color like? People may not have been ready to acknowledge that. But we're assessing all of these things, interpreting them, and making meaning of them. So I was so interested in why I had made the type of meaning that I had. And then what other meaning other people were making of these pictures that they saw in Ebony Magazine. So I'm like, okay. This is what's happening in my life right now. I'm dealing with my hurt (laughs) and my defeat. But I'm also in this research lab. And so I thought it was like the perfect meeting place Mm -hmm. to connect hair and the way that we made meaning of hair in this particular magazine. Interesting. Yeah, I remember remember this competition. And I felt like a special professor considering I was working with Miss Howard University. But as part of that process, you had to pull a lot of research articles. But we found that there wasn't that much out there. There, there were some things. Yeah. Um, do you remember any other articles or studies done on magazines and black women? I do. We, we came across a lot of studies that were done on the physical appearance of black women and the types of... So I kind of have this theory that um, the more you repeat the exposure to certain depictions, so that could be the exposure to slim women, that could be the exposure to short hair, exposure to long hair... Just the repetitive exposure to these images could create some type of interpretation. And so the research was mainly on, if you look at aesthetic, which we all know hair is a part of your aesthetic. If you look at aesthetic for black women, it's really like body size and body shape. So we ran into so many articles on how black women's bodies were being portrayed. And I'm like, okay, this is good. You know, the researchers are able to um, outline why it's important that we're researching the way that black women's bodies are being portrayed. But I'm like, is our head not on our body? (laughs) And is there not hair on our heads? And so we had to use a lot of, um, we just had to put things in context. So making these connections where the research had been done and then also with um, some works that were not necessarily research-based. So um, was that the Rooks book? Mm-hmm. Hair like, raising? Yes, hair <laughs> raising. <laughs> every every article in every book was <laughs> hair this. People got so creative. I never saw so many variations of the use of the word hair. So I remember that we were trying to basically like pinpoint and connect these two things to this research around aesthetic because researchers and scientists, psychologists, sociologists were able to identify that black women's aesthetic was um, salient, meant something, you know, like how we portray them and how they interpret their own aesthetic. But they were leaving out the head, all of the hair. So those were um, hair raising. I remember we... Gosh, do we? I don't remember coming across there any were, other articles on here. Now, there were some texts. This was a long time ago. Yeah. This was what year? 2014? Oh so, to gosh. even think, a lot of the research articles that are out now, mm-hmm. worn out then, to so no. we really no. pulling. Yeah. And, <laughs> and stretching, trying to stretching. connect these two. I'm, I'm thinking back, like, yeah, there had to have been, right? There were. 
living. No, we're not. This was this was really new back yeah, then. It was. So black women can basically wear their hair in any style possible. How did you develop a coding system to categorize the hairstyles that you saw on Ebony magazine covers? Any style possible, right? That means they were like. <laughs> I remember we would go from like seeing pictures of black women with like bone straight hair and wrapped around their neck like high fashion stuff from like the 60s to uh, I think it was a picture of maybe like um Cicely Tyson and she had like all those beads was that her yeah Mm -hmm. she had like lots of beads so there were so many so we just started looking at okay what are all of the things that we see we kind of just took some of those Covers that stood out to us, like, okay, this person has um, pretty short hair. So then we're like, okay, well, length. That's a comparison that we can make. We looked at um, basically all the ways that the hair had been manipulated. Mm-hmm. So was it in its natural state or what appeared to be its natural state? That was so tough. Was it pulled? So we started to measure tension, you know, because we realized that curls and hair will present differently if you pull it. You know, if you put some rubber bands on, it's going to look pretty different than it does if you don't. <laughs> Um, so we really were just like examining all the ways that the hair could have been manipulated. So if we just never touched the hair ever since she came out the womb, it would look this way. But obviously these women's hairstyles are not presenting that way. So what things did they do to change it? And then we kind of came up with all of these different categories of length, texture, color. We did color. Mm-hmm. We did um, tension. And then coming up with <laughs> the measurements was crazy. Like, we had, like, ear length, shoulder length, bra strap length. Yeah, I remember we had to decide on the body as a measurement tool because how could you determine length in a picture, right? We're using a flat picture. We can't see the back of their bodies. Mm -hmm. So using that front to be able to make a distinction. But you also have to think about how we're interpreting that. I can't tell how long your hair is. I can tell only by looking at that photo how long I think your hair is and how long your hair is being portrayed to be. So that was also interesting, and I think that's what helped us to use the body as a kind of like a measurement marker because that's all we can use as patrons of this magazine. I don't truly know, like you said, how long your hair is, but I know how long it seems like your hair is. (laughs) Yeah, but you had to really come up with a coding manual to some degree Mm -hmm. and using different photos from Ebony Magazine to say this is what this means and this picture means that. that was really hard. (laughs) I mean, it it was like... How many hairstyles and hair types yeah. can we find? Yeah, we so looked many. at 50 years oh of gosh. magazine covers since it was all online. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it, I think we were in Howard's library on Saturdays just saying straight, 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 straight ear, 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 <laughs> like, and going through these different styles, but seeing that there was a real trend. Mm-hmm. So what did you see happen across each decade? So we started in the 50s, the late 50s, and not every um, decade had a full year's worth of publications that were available um, through the site that we used. But there were actually a lot more natural hairstyles, of course, like before we came into this black bourgeoisie era. And so people had these little short froze. So it went from like these very short kind of like what we hear our elders refer to as like the natural. So when we were seeing like in the 70s and like 60s and some of the 80s that the Black Panther movement was happening and then the Black Power movement was encouraging people to go back to the natural. People were referring to back in the 50s and 60s when it was. And then there was kind of that like weird late 50s, early 60s time where... Um, 
black women were like, look, if the white women wear their hair like that, I can do that too. And so they had these ginormous wigs, like these <laughs> enormous <laughs> wigs that surprisingly looked so much like the white women's wigs. It was mm-hmm. like just different hair colors. Um, so we went from everybody just kind of presenting with whatever was on their head to we can wear these wigs, we can straighten our hair. And that was around the time that um, the woman who created hair weaves, hair weaving, um, her business kind of took off. Like, I can put any texture of hair on your head. Yes, I can. So people were kind of experimenting with that. Then as you move through the Black Power Movement, people are like, I can wear my hair natural. It is beautiful, right? I just heard some song that featured um, the Black is Beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is fire. That is cool. <laughs> but I heard it so many times, especially doing this research. That it was so, I mean, it was a sample in the background. Black <laughs> is beautiful, free healing. <laughs> um, <laughs> said a warrior free. Okay. That's what people were being told. This is what they're hearing. This is what they're feeling. This is definitely what the movement was about. So people were going back to natural. But it was almost split right down the middle. Where black people were like, I can wear my hair natural. But I also recognize that I get a lot of positive attention wearing it straight. And then you get to the 90s. People just start doing weird stuff to their hair. They <laughs> just start doing super weird stuff to their hair. Like um, what? You were seeing like, I remember seeing a picture of someone who had the most hair extensions. So hair extensions became a huge thing. Not so much the wigs, but in the 90s where they would have like hair that hit the ground. And it looked like natural texture hair, but it was like, um, you know you know how Erica Buddy has those like really, really, really long um, individuals? It was kind of like that, like just this obnoxious or over, almost like an uh, exaggerated <laughs> portrayal of black hair. So people were kind of getting really creative, like the short, the asymmetric, like it's short on this side and all kinds of things that I would describe as strange. But what was consistent <laughs> throughout the whole time was black people were straightening their hair. Yeah, yeah. They were straightening their hair and then they would manipulate it in lots of ways that, you know, would give us all these weird and unique hairstyles. But it was always straight. It was very often straightened from its natural texture. So that was so important for us to be able to pinpoint that, but still acknowledge, you know, it was straightened and it wasn't bone straight always. I think maybe like in the early 2000s, you saw like Ashanti, Tony Braxton, Beyonce <laughs> had that bone straight hair, not even flipped on the ends a little <laughs> bit, just straight. They was like, we ain't doing that no more. I grew up, my mama was doing that to me my whole life. I'm wearing my hair just straight. But it was always manipulated from its natural texture. Almost as if it was to say, we got to straighten your hair to do something with it. <laughs> Even it. though we want curly. It, yeah, we're going to curl it. We'll, we'll braid it up after that. We'll twist it up. But we're going to straighten it. Hmm. Yeah, so with the digital and social media age, what are your recommendations to content creators in representing black women in their hair? You know, like, black women's hair is such a huge movement right now. So just really pay attention. Like, get out there and see what black women are truly doing to express themselves through their hair. So we know, like, this natural hair movement is huge right now. I thought that it had peaked, like, around the time that we were doing this, (laughs) but it's still up there. It's still up there. But I guess my recommendation would be just to pay attention and take notice that our hair is extremely malleable. So that means that before we have to, um, just to be critical, like before we have to straighten it, we can do a lot of manipulating with our own hair. And so if you are someone who represents black women in their hair, think about that. Be critical and assess. Even if you see like, it seems like most women are straightening their hair. 
think about the fact that we don't always have to do that to achieve a unique look, to braid our hair, to style in any way. And then you'll start to see like, wow, there are other black women who do just wake up in the morning, maybe put a little water in the hair, go outside. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> All right. So getting to the complexity, but also the individual experiences too, to show like a range of styles. Yeah. So as a busy mom and student and entrepreneur, um, what hairstyles do you rock and recommend to multitasking moms? Oh my gosh. My mom, when we were growing up, she had three daughters in her own head. So four black women's heads. She shaved her head and she permed <laughs> our hair. She was like, look, one of us is not going to have any hair and the other ones, y'all going to have very, very quote-unquote manageable hair and so after experiencing that i'm like you know what mom never gonna do anything to my kids hair so i have locks and i have very low maintenance locks i would recommend number one <laughs> if you are a mother and you have free flowing natural hair consider locking your hair it's wonderful <laughs> um they also are very sturdy ropes for when your children fall my kids grab onto them all the time and i've been able to save them plenty of times um, but for the kids, my son is bald, like skeet skeet bald. He just started growing hair like two weeks ago and he's one and a half. So we just do a lot of brushing, a whole lot of brushing. My daughter though, we try not to, we have not ever put any heat on her hair, but what I'm learning is you just need to help them define their curls so the hair does not tangle. And that can be finding some good product. We just started trying out flaxseed gel. Mm which I had to add a few things to not make it so um, nutty. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of smelly. <laughs> but putting that on her hair and then just letting her go, it helps to keep her curls defined enough that it doesn't tangle. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to worry about braiding or, you know, sometimes I get creative and, you know, I feel the yeah, spirit over me. Sometimes, it, but that's not often. <laughs> that's why you get a picture every time it happens because it's not often. But I would really say just make sure that you define their curls enough so that the hair doesn't get tangled. And then they can wear two ponytails or wear one ponytail. Mm, It'd be okay. quite easy to manage. All right. So just even thinking about managing hair, but also mm -hmm. managing business and school. Yeah. So what are your recommendations to black women out there who are decolonizing their consciousness and building black businesses. Man, you have to like really assess in every area of your life how you can do those exact things in terms of decolonizing your consciousness and build your business. So I had someone ask me in one of my classes, like, you know, we say, you know, we can identify all these issues um, in the field of youth work around racism and genderism and sexism, because you know, those are two different things. But, you know, it just seems like so much work. So how can we truly make an impact as one person? I'm like, <laughs> I got the answer for you. And the truth is you just have to assess in every area of your life where you spend your money, where you put your energy, where you spend your time, what you spend time watching, the groups and associations, organizations, people and entities that you support. Those are the ways that you can decolonize your consciousness. Be mindful about everything, really just Put intention behind it and if you have you know developed some type of i don't want to say mantra or mission statement or belief on what decolonizing your consciousness looks like even in building your business stick to that so like in our business we always always go to patronizing black businesses first and if that means that we're gonna get our shipment 
a week later than Amazon would have been able to provide it for us, we accommodate for that and we plan for that. So plan for it and be intentional with all of your practices. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah. I just even want to close out um, our conversation today to really acknowledge the power that Ebony Magazine had Mm -hmm. as a black business Mm -hmm. and even its connection then to Howard University and communications, even where the psychology department was at Howard. But to really think about how important the image of black healthy women is, whether it's in a Mm -hmm. magazine or social media, it has huge implications on other black women. Absolutely. That that mirroring impact certainly happens. So thank you so much for joining me today, oh, Tyler. I feel so motivated. Course. I need yeah. to work on my black business, work on my hair. <laughs> you um, are the that. motivator. <laughs> All right. So Tyler, how can listeners get in contact with you to keep up with your various projects? Well, call me up. Okay. Call me. Don't text me. I'm just kidding. You can always um, access Chicago Birthworks Collective, which is our doula collective on Instagram. Go on our Twitter page. And it is like a ghost town. <laughs> Go on there and just follow us, and then maybe we'll start to, you know, just be more present there. But we're on Instagram as Chicago Birthworks with an S Co. C O. Um, and if you ever, if you're like, oh my gosh, she's in Chicago, and I know someone who is having a baby or is interested in reproductive health or any of that stuff, send us an email. Our email is info at chicagobirthworks.com we always love connecting with people those are like the two quickest ways that does not that email does not come straight to me it goes to our logistics manager she's much better at responding than me yeah we got a logistics manager yes we do yes we do (laughs) so if you want to get in contact with me she will call me like um tayo they looking for you those are the two easiest ways cool well just follow Psychotherapy information through our website, psychotherapy.org, or our Instagram handle, at psychotherapy. And of course, if you like this podcast, please consider sharing it. And in closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. Thanks so much for listening. Ashe, Ashe,